Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. What is up, Screenwriting Life family? It is producer Jeff here, and boy, do we have an amazing episode for all of you this week. Believe it or not, I think Meg and Lorian have outdone themselves. Um, it's another live show, and this week we're coming to you with our very first in-person live show from the Austin Film Festival. Meg and Lorian were very busy. Both of them oversaw multiple panels, including this one. And I just think you are about to get so much out of this story workshop. Uh, Meg and Lorian will introduce the workshop once the episode starts, so I'm not going to waste your time. But I do want to let you know that Meg and Lorian have a ton of amazing takeaways from their time at AFF. You know, both of them are the first to say how much they're learning as well. And I'm really looking forward to it because tomorrow, Meg, Lorian, and I are going to get on a Zoom and debrief everything that they learned during the festival. And if you want to eavesdrop on that conversation, we're going to be airing it exclusively on our Patreon. If you haven't heard about our Patreon, it's kind of a level-up subscription element to the Screenwriting Life show. A lot of you guys have been asking for additional opportunities and ways to kind of expand your Screenwriting Life experience. And the best way to do that is through our Patreon that we've just launched. So to learn more about what Patreon is and how to get involved and hear this conversation that Megan, Lorian, and I are going to record tomorrow about AFF, you can head to www.patreon.com slash the screenwriting life, and I will make sure to link that in the description below. But in the meantime, let's not waste any more time and let's dive into this workshop led by Megan Lorian live from the Austin Film Festival. All right, welcome everyone. Uh, this is the screenwriting life, and this is our very first in person live show. <laughs> We are <laughs> we're at the Austin Film Festival and having a wonderful time. Yes, I haven't eaten or slept since I got here. Um, so um, it sounds like we have some Screenwriting Life fans in the audience. Um, but for those of you who don't know us, I'm Lorian. And I'm Meg. And uh, our podcast is dedicated to supporting writers of all levels, uh, emerging, pro, ourselves. Uh, we are story junkies. So today for the show, we're going to workshop your ideas. So we're going to do a random draw of those of you who signed up. And so we're asking that you do like a three to five minute pitch slash conversation of your ideas to tell us your story. And then we'll get into it with you. But first, uh, let's do our weekly tradition of talking about our week, uh, which is basically the life of a screenwriter. Um, AKA Adventures in Screenwriting. Lorian, how was your week? I have no idea. Um, I think it was a lot of being really nervous about coming to this because it's my first Austin Film Festival and I'm on panels and so it's been a little overwhelming, uh, but really fun and it's been really great to meet everybody here. Um, at the beginning of the week, my daughter got sick, so I was terrified it was COVID, but it's just a cold and the stomach flu. So that was super fun. Um, and then I had a meeting with the network. Um, I have an animated show in development, and so we showed some of the artwork to the network, and it went really, really well, and we're all on the same page, so I'm excited about that. Um, and then I just complained about how sick my kid was and uh, 
avoided doing work because you know I was preparing for this. So uh, yeah, that's right. That's that why. was that was my terrible week. I'm sure I did some writing. Of course I did. Of I did, you did so much writing every day. Uh, no, it was a weird week. Also, this was the first time I was on an airplane since COVID and the mask thing. It's all been very, it's all been very emotional. Oh, Meg, how was your week? Uh, my week uh, in terms of working was really trying to listen and partake participate with collaborator collaborators and how to fix a script. Meaning, I had no idea what to do. And I had to pretend like I did. Uh, and so basically it was really fun because, you know, my way of fixing, of doing a rewrite is you start over and kind of like I talked about in our session today, it's about going back to the basics. So every time after we get notes, my whole thing is you have to start over. You have to go back to carding. And so, you know, that's what I was doing. And it was really hard, but what was fun is by throwing out just crazy ass spaghetti against the wall ideas, like literally like the kind of the idea where you're like, well, this is crazy. We can't do this, but what if, and just tossing it on the table, then your collaborator can be like, well, what if we did half of that? Or what if, oh my, I actually think that's good. That sounds crazy, but I actually think that's good and you can start spitballing. So I found that really enlivening because I went, I started the week really feeling no ground under my feet for the story. Like really feeling nervous and kind of at my wits end about what to do. But by being brave and just throwing out crazy ideas, I now have ended the week feeling grounded to my feet and like, oh, we can do this. I mean, there's still tons of questions and it'll probably boil up next week and oh well. But right now, for the weekend, I feel good about it. Um, and the other thing I did is I mentored at CineStory. I couldn't, yay, CineStory. I couldn't actually go up. I had a situation with my family that I had to do my mentees by Zoom. And um, I also had some, have some other mentors, uh, mentees that I'm working with. And what was interesting was, I not all of them, but I would say a predominant number of them, there was some, how do I explain this? When I would ask them about their character, and I would ask them about their character arc, or their transformation, or who they are, they would tell me what they were doing, or the plot. They would tell me incident. And that's not character. Of course it is, because your character making choices show them who they are, but it was really interesting to try to get their brains down into the deeper character work, right? So if somebody says to you, well, what is your character's transformation, or tell me a little bit about your character, if you start, find your brain kind of going, well, you know, in act one, she's here, and then in act two, she's here. I'm not saying that's not good, but that's not, that's incident. And if your brain can just start grokking incident versus character, that's a really big shift for your brain to start making. Um, so what I want to hear is, you know, um, she is terrified and she's pretending that she's not. And the way she's pretending she's not is she's staying super busy. And she's pretending that her mother laying in bed all day doesn't matter to her. And that's why she's going to the chicken fryer thing. And, and looking at the chicken makes her feel this. And so I'm looking for that deeper emotional movement of the character so that that's what we can dig into. Because all that top stuff, all that incident can completely change. Like radically change once we find that deeper stuff. So that was just something that I wanted to share with you guys 
in terms of to think about for your own writing that I, and I thought about it for my writing too, by the way. Every time you mentor, you think about your own writing. Like literally I'll be, t like in my session, I was like, and do this. And then I thought, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm totally not doing that. I, I think that's part of what's so cool to come to something like this. I sat in a panel today, and it's one of those things like, I know this stuff, but then when you hear someone else frame it in a slightly different way, you're like, oh, yeah, I do need that. And I think that's why this is so special, because you keep getting reminded of things. I mean, every time I talk to Meg, I'm like, oh, right, character. But um, I just, it, I mean, it's, it's all levels all the time in your career. I think you're always gonna have those moments of, oh right, I do need external conflict, cool. Yeah, so it's not just for the emerging writers who are having those light bulbs go off and things like, you knew that but you're not doing it. All the pro writers here are having the exact same experience. Um, all right, so let, that's good, there we are, we did that part. Let's get on to workshopping. This is my chip hand, <laughs> so I'm gonna do it with this hand. <laughs> And basically, it's like, you know, give us like a three-minute pitch, five-minute pitch. And by pitch, I don't even mean pitch. I mean story. Just tell us. And then we'll workshop it for, I don't know, five, ten minutes or until your brain explodes. And then we'll go to the next one. And we'll get as many in as we can. Okay? I don't know how many that'll be, but let's just see. Drum roll. <laughs> oh, no, I can't read this. Noah something Millman? <laughs> Hello, welcome. Welcome. The universe wants us to talk to you. I was literally just saying to the person I was sitting next to, I really hope they don't pick mine. Oh, as soon as you say that, <laughs> you're getting picked. As That's called opposite manifestation, and I'm the yeah. expert at it. <laughs> I never want to do this, and then, oh, guess what I'm doing next? She literally just said that to me the other day where she was like, I never want this to happen, and I was like, oh, don't say that, and, and <laughs> swallowed it deep back inside me. Take it back. Yeah. Can, well, I, can I take this off? Or yes, please do. Okay. Yeah, you can take your mask off here. Hi, Noah. Hi. How are you? <laughs> And you know, we'll help you pitch in too if you get lost or you, we have questions as we go. Don't worry about it. Super, super chill. Okay. I mean, you're only the first one. Right. I'm no only pressure. The first one. And, I'm, and I'm coming up here with a story that's not complete. Perfect. Because I don't know the ending. Perfect. And I can't, when I write, I can't start until I know where I'm going. So I've been fiddling with the outline and character bios and things for literally years while writing other projects, knowing that this is something I really want to write. And I haven't been able to start because I don't know where it ends. And I'm hoping you can help me figure out what, not necessarily where it ends, but how am I going to figure out where it ends? Okay, yeah, we'll give you some ideas. <laughs> okay, so um, film follows two uh, escaped convicts. First, tell me tone so that I know if we're supposed to laugh. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes yes. people pitch things and you're like, is that supposed to be funny? Because I'm going to laugh, but maybe it'll be insulting. Um, I, I want you to be very uncomfortable with your laughter. Okay, so give me a movie that's in the same tone. Um, a movie that's in the like, same Like, are we tone. talking Lolita? <laughs> are we talking, not plot, not plot. I understand. So, is it like Cone Brothers? Is it... Yeah, I think that's not a bad, that's not a bad place to start, let's okay. say. All right. But like, maybe Barton Fink era Cone Brothers. Okay, that's if good. We're, All right, I got it's that. It's not as surreal as that, but like, you know. Okay, yeah. got it. Um, so we're following two uh, escaped convicts who, um... Hi, come to, as part of their escape plan, they come to a Christian camp in the Eastern California desert, um, and uh, they're sort of pretending that they are 
pilgrims, whatever, and are hosted by a family, and the dumber one of the two escaped convicts becomes convinced that the uh, prepubescent daughter of the uh, people they're hiding out with is being abused by her father, and he helps her escape with them. So they are now kidnappers. And the rest of the movie is a road movie with the three of them in which the smarter one is trying to somehow disgorge himself of this burden <laughs> that is going to put him away for much longer than he was originally away for, um, while she is manipulating him. And the question that it becomes more and more in his mind, initially he dismisses the possibility that well, it, it's not what's happening. She was not being abused, and if she was, it's none of my business. But it worms its way more and more um, into him, into his head, um, uh, so that she's sort of trying to win, you know, seduce him over basically to her side. And we in the audience still don't know whether she is, whether the suspicion is true, or whether there's something else going on, right? Because I mean, she's not behaving like a normal 11 or 12 year old girl, um, and I don't know where it ends. And I don't know if it ends horribly and tragically, or if there is a version of a comic ending that this could aim towards, and it has everything to do with sort of, well, what's the tone of it? You know, I can picture my, you know, paper moon scenes that go along the way, but I don't know where it's driving All right, so towards. in those paper moon scenes, so ultimately, what is the truth? What is your main character figure out as the truth of her? Is she the main character? Yeah, who's no, the main character? The, smart, the, the smarter smart, ex-con is, smart is, ex is, is the main character. The main character. Yes, and that's where the main does character. He, what does he figure out about her, ultimately, and I therefore have, about himself? That's another way of saying that I don't know the ending, because I haven't been able to figure out what I think the truth is about her. Well, why don't we ask him? <laughs> why don't we ask who? Your character, your main character. What the, how does he know what the truth is about her? He, he's going to have to deal with things in his own childhood that are in the background of why he's so resistant initially. So I know that about him, that this is a lot of this is about how he was raised and his relationship with his father. And, and she intu she's a very intuitive kid, and she figures this stuff out about him and pokes him, you know, to, to, for her own purposes. But I can't, I don't know so what I want, because I could choose what the truth is can. about her. Right. So let's choose both and see where it goes. Because that's the other thing you can do, right. guys. And I was literally just saying this to a director who was starting to get nervous. I'm like, let's just pick a version. Like, for today, let's just pick a version. It's just a version. We can go back to the, what we have. We can do a different version. So let's just, real quick, do both versions. So, because let's just decide right now, in terms of the end, is she a manipulator? And if she is, why is she doing that? Right. So let's take that version. She is manipulating these two Goombas, right? To, because she's super smart. So immediately I'm like, is she a sociopath? Or is she a true kid who's super smart and getting herself out of something. So let's pick a lane, sociopath or super smart? I'm not really interested in her being a sociopath. Okay, so she's super smart. And, and miserable. And miserable, and she's manipulating these Goombas to get out of right. her situation right. in this version. What is her situation? Beyond being in a family that she's miserable with. The, the, like, like it could be as limited as I am stuck with these people who I think are insane and are making me insane and I need to escape from their world and I've hit on this as an idea. Mm -hmm. Or 
No, it's true. She's being abused by her father. But let's pick a lane. I'm not sure. I pick can't a lane choose. right now. All right, right now, so pick let's a lane. say so. Let's say it's not true. Let's okay, say let's, let's pick, say she came up with this as a way. She's not being abused, escape, but, but she, she is utterly. She's running away from home. She's running away from right. Those those are the two choices really. She's and running away from home, ulti- or she's running home because she's. And abused, what's her right? ultimate goal? Because she's still hanging out with these guys. It's not like she got out at the end of Act One and then got on a bus. And because there's always the danger of the get on the bus problem. Mm. If your main character at any point can just get on a bus and leave the movie, you have not locked them in, right? To the, to the story, right? So clearly the two convicts are locked in because they're, they're runaway convicts. Um, why is she staying with them? I actually think it would be a little hard for an 11-year-old girl to just get on a bus, right, with nobody. Like, there would be questions asked. I assume... Right, but, but I hear where, what you're saying. Where, she has like, to be trying to goal? get to somewhere. So let's just, what's a goal? Give me a goal. Is she going off to her aunts in Vancouver? What's her goal? Sure, let's give her a relative grandma in, fine, in Seattle or something. Let's not have her cross an international border because that would be So she needs them to get to... Sure. Seattle. Seattle say. to get to her relative and then right. she'll be safe. So she's manipulating them to do that. Let's say that. Sure, right? so I can run with in that. In this version, yeah. right? So she's, try- she's manipulating to get them to go where she wants to go. They clearly want to go south, probably, or something else completely different. Um, but they're doing it. So really, this is about her changing your main character, right? She's the, she's the agent of change. Yes, but there's an irony to that, right? I mean, I, I, I do think that her changing him is going to have to get him in worse trouble. Like, I do think that he was in better shape in terms of dealing with the situation of he is now accessory to a kidnapping when he didn't well, care about it. every her. character is in worse <laughs> shape when they hit Act 2. <laughs> right? And if they're not, you're not doing your job. Mm-hmm. Right? As we talked about today in my seminar, you have to beat the shit out of them. So she's going to metaphorically beat the shit out of him. Right? right? And so, yeah, it's going to get worse and worse for him. But the reason you're doing that to him is to raise his consciousness about something, Right? He's a transformative character. That's another way, again, of stating sort of what the ending is, right? Is it an up ending or a down ending, right? If he changes and that, and then at the end of the day, we feel like that was a good thing for him, even if he goes back to prison or something, right? Then that's an up ending in what, some sense. What I thought earlier, what you said was really interesting, is that her uh, uh, being in his life was sort of sparking all the stuff about his own childhood, right. which is what we experience as parents, right? right? Like wherever our kid is, that age, we sort of like flashback to that. So what is she poking at? You said she was poking at something with him. What is it that he's hiding? She's poking at basically his abandonment, right? That he was, you know, spent a lot of time. Oh, I love a good abandonment story. Well, yeah, he grew up mostly in the foster system and, um, and, uh, and has a lot of anger at, at, uh, at both of his parents, particularly at his, at his father. But if he lets her if he lets her in as somebody that he's supposed to care for, then he has to feel all of that. And if he's like, this person is a bad person, if he effectively replicates the abandonment, then he can avoid dealing with it. And she figures that out. Right, so immediately, if that's where he's starting, right, you can just, if he's starting with, there is no way in God's green earth I am going to attach to this kid. Right. Because it's way too dangerous for me emotionally, then where is he going? He's going to attach to her eventually through Act 2, right? Which means what happens at the end of Act 2? He's going to lose her. And what he was afraid was going to happen happens in a version. Right, that makes sense. This is a version. Just taking a version is no way I'm attaching to you. I've attached to you. Now I lose you. And what I was afraid was going to happen in Act 1 has happened. I have lost her, right? 
And then you're right, that can go either I get her back and I deliver her to her grandmother, which is still letting her go, but I've changed enough now to connect and let go, mm. right? So what would be the, so that's, I guess, an up version, but bittersweet, right? Because yeah, they're I don't not going to be together. So what is, the, what is the down version of it? I feel like that's a happy version that right, I don't okay. really want to write. All right, so what's the, what's the unhappy version? I think the unhappy version, she, he has to wind up, like everything that he knew in act one, at the end, like when, when, we, when, when they're now on the, ro on the road on the run with her, and he's like, this is terrible, I am now a kidnapper, and I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this situation, but everything now is about how do I get out of it. At that point, he knows nobody is going to listen to him, right? And whatever story he tells about how he got into this mess, nobody cares. He's gonna go back to prison for a very long time. And I think that has to happen to him. But that like can... he has he has to he has, like like he's ultimately so what would I think he needs to be abandoned again effectively by her. Okay, that's pretty dark. Yeah. But does he learn something along the way? I think he does, but I don't know what you do with it at that point. You know, if that's where he winds up, if it turns out that like sort of the that that process of internal change was what enabled him to do the thing that sends him back to prison for life. So right. He does the right thing. He brings her to where she actually needs to be. But in doing but that... But he gets caught. It, to yeah. do, in order, so the big sacrifice... So if this is a guy who would never in a million years in Act 1 sacrifice for this child, right. never in a million years, then the climax of the movie could be you will sacrifice for her to the point that for her, you will end up in prison for the rest of your life. You are all, and she'll accuse you. You're going to look like a kidnapper. Process. Why would she need to accuse him in that process? If she needs to get out of trouble in some fashion herself, if she's still sort of so trying to So it's kind of escape. dangerous liaisons, right? Where, <laughs> you know, you have to do something horrible in order to save the person and yourself. So she's going to, meaning, do they both know in the moment that she's betraying him? that she has to betray him in order for her to be okay? Is he okay with the fact that she's gonna do it? That's a good question, I have to think about that. I think so, that's a big tonal question, right, about how, like what, you know, how much, you know, goo is on the lens at that point, you know what I mean? Well, that but, like, you know, like, it's a very sad ending if they both know it and you can see that they both know it and it's a very different ending if he's, slapped in the face by it and like she's as stone cold as she was at the very beginning and she hasn't changed you know what i mean like that well would then be she's a, much a true darker. villain oh i think she is the villain i just don't think like vill i think villains are all people you know what i mean she's not a well, monster but, it, but in terms of <laughs> the antagonist action that yeah. is a villainous action yeah for me and this can be personal i much more care about a scene where these two people are going to know what's happening and nobody else can know what's happening. And in doing that, she's yes. giving him up and he's empowering her to be, to abandon him, right? And, and sacrifice him. Because yeah. that also is her arc, right? Like, what does this child need to do and, gr and grow for herself? Like, be very careful, especially with a child character, that you, because what you're describing is a little bit sociopathic. I hear what you're saying. When you say, well, she knows, and she's just going to abandon him anyways, and he gets totally fucked, that's more sociopathic. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Than an actual human child who is overwhelmed, right? And, and But not human child, but child who has all think, of their faculties. I think what I'd, what I'd say is I don't think that she would do it 
knowing, like fully comprehending what she's doing and saying, I don't care. But I can believe that she wouldn't fully comprehend what, like exactly yeah, what so, she's just done. That she's, okay. that it's more like, I, like I'm That's not. That's Dangerous Liaisons. Yeah. Do you remember Dangerous Liaisons? Yeah. Where he literally is going to, uh, it, she doesn't understand that he's trying to get her away from this horrible thing he put her in. And she's screaming, crying, what do you mean you don't love me? And he is standing there rigid saying, I don't love you because I used you. And we know none of this is true. Right. But he has to do it to get her away from him, right? Because he, he has wrapped her up in something. So this is a beautifully, in a good way, classic, beautiful movie moment that the whole script can be driving towards earning that. But I also really think, I just want to push you a little. Please. That sometimes when we can't write at all until we know the end there's something in there that's frightening emotionally. And sometimes the right brain will not put up with letting you not do it, get away with it. Do you see what I'm saying? Like the left brain can say, we need to work on this more. We need mm. to figure out, I don't know the end. Whereas the right brain, if you just start writing and know that this is just a vomit draft, that <laughs> they'll tell, the characters sometimes tell you where you want to go. Fair so enough. I would just say for yourself as a writer, go ahead and start writing some scripts just as a writing experiment for you where you don't know where you're going to see what comes up because once it's not controlled by the intellect, kind of what rises up. And I would also say really start digging into abandonment yeah. because that's what you're talking about, especially when your instinct is, no, no, she's going to abandon him again. Like, what, what are you saying about abandonment? Mm -hmm. What do you think you're saying about abandonment? This is all, it's all trauma, right? Trauma response. Sure. A little girl behaving like that is a trauma response sure, exactly. from something. Right, exactly. Right? And that yes. there's a difference between uh, action from trauma and being a sociopath. Right, and I agree so with that. It's, it's finding that line, because we do want to be rooting for her, whether she's the villain or not. Right? Like you want to believe that she's doing the right thing for herself. I mean, maybe you disagree, Meg. Yeah, no, I mean, she's a kid, so kids. The right be... thing is best as she understands, because she has the horizons of a, of a kid. And right. a kid who's been leading a very sheltered life, who like knows the, the, the very rigidly confined world that she's in, plus television. And kind of that's all she's got to work and with. And there's probably something else that he and she are going to relate to each other on, even though everything else is different. And even though she is with a family and he never had one, all that stuff makes them seem very different. But the trauma is the same. The trauma of emotional abandonment and the trauma of being controlled, the trauma of not having choice and agency as a child, either because you keep getting moved from foster groups or because you're in this cult. Those are all things right. that they can share, that you have to have them share through behavior and discovery and... You know, it's not necessarily they sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about it, because neither of them will ever... I mean, do that in your early drafts, for sure, just so you know what it is. But eventually, of course, it has to be... I'm not saying you would do that. I sometimes do it in my early drafts, because I'm like, what is this about? What am I doing? But, you know, that's going to be all the sweet juice of it. And that's really about specifics, right? Like, they both, uh, when they get their bedroll, they're doing the exact same thing, right? Tucking everything in under it. Right. So they keep their stuff safe or, you know, that there's some specific thing that they both do that is the the betrayal or the exposition of 
what people with abandonment trauma would do in that situation. Mm. And if you're interested in abandonment trauma, which it seems like you are, I would definitely, sometimes I talk to psychiatrists about it. Like, what would an 11-year-old child in abandonment trauma, how would the behavior be? Like, I was once consulting with a script, and in the script, the kid at the end kills his abusive father. Mm. And it just never rang true. And I spoke to my psychiatrist, and I was like, what would drive a child to finally, after all of this trauma, why this? And she goes, well, what happens is, when you're working with children like this, they can put up with a lot, and they can start to adapt in their brain a lot. But they always have an, either an object or a pet which represents their best self, which represents their heart. And if the abuser kills that, you almost, as a psychiatrist, can't get them back. So he was like, the writer was like, oh my god, he's going to kill the dog. I'm like, he's going to kill the dog. And then he was like, and then we have to kill him. And I was like, and then we have to kill him. So meaning, I don't know that. I'm not a psychiatrist based on working with children who are severely traumatized from abuse, but she knows it. So you could talk to a psychiatrist about abandonment trauma, and it'll give you beautiful, you know, and expressive when it tones into you. That's where you got to go, right? So that stuff really can help you as a writer find those beautiful details of a child with abandonment trauma would never do this, but they would always do this, right? Just from what they know about them. That's a really useful, really right. useful idea. Thank you. And I really want you to just write it without knowing. <laughs> Will uh-huh. you? Yeah, sure. Okay, you all heard him. He committed. <laughs> he committed. All right, was that helpful? Oh, yes. Okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We have to Who do wants one. to go now? <laughs> I know. Suddenly everybody's like, um, maybe I won't go. <laughs> you guys in the handwriting. Ugh. Robert Kell McAllister? Oh, right. okay. Okay. Robert? I can't see. Hello. Yeah, move over. Can you see better? Yeah. I'm really going to get a closer look now. <laughs> there I am. I can put my glasses back on. I keep fogging them up with the Now mask. you can, because the mask is off. Yeah. So thank you for doing this. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for being here. All right, so tell us first tone, genre, something so we know where we are. Coming of age story, um, kid growing up in the 70s in San Jose, California. Okay, but still not tone. Okay, um, I would say... Um, Fantastical, bittersweet, but hopeful. So give me a Stand movie. by me. Okay, good. I mean, Stand by me is great because it's got yeah. some grit in there, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. So tell us your story. Okay. So uh, Casey, he's very bright, nine years old, trying to survive fifth grade with all the usual problems. Um, and he's always escaping into these very wild fantasies. Like, uh, he gets in trouble at school, and in his mind, he's in the movie The Planet of the Apes, and the school bully is the gorilla, and he's one of the humans in the rags, you know? Um, and you find out very quickly that he lives in an alcoholic, um, dysfunctional family, and everybody's living in different forms of denial. And he keeps just running away from reality. And the, uh, the thing that changes this year is he gets put into a class for uh, gifted children. And he connects with a teacher who's very intuitive and, you know, typical awesome teacher. Uh, You know, we all had one or two like that in our lives, thank God. Um, And she connects with him, and she tells him that he can change his life, that he has the power to do that if he leans in. And he's like, far out, I'm going to do that. 
Um, his mom, uh, his father abandoned them all when he was like four, and his mom's remarried a very uh, sick alcoholic. Uh, and in his mind, he gets his plan, I'm gonna get Daddy Jay, it's what he calls his dad, to come and meet me at summer camp where I'm going for the first time, and all will be well. All my problems will be solved, he'll just take me away to Alaska where he lives, everything will be great. Um, which sounds cool, you know, um, but he, um, and he Is that sends, his original father or the stepfather? His real father, his yes. Real father. His original father, who he doesn't really know. His father has sent him some stories over the years. His father has some kind of creative flair, and he tells him stories about Melvin the Great, which was his dad's middle name. And so in his fantasies, usually it's him and Melvin the Great fighting wombats or whatever, you know, and everything's cool and awesome, and Melvin is great. And, you know, he's, he's a space cadet. He's always going off, and they're really fun and crazy and silly but life at home is getting more and more difficult. And the teacher is trying to help him live in the now. And he, he just wants to be in dreamland, you know? Um, and it comes to a head uh, one night, his, and his stepfather, he's, he's, I don't want him to be a boogeyman. I want him to be a sick person, which he is. Uh, he, he, in a drunken rage, tries to cut his hair with a butcher knife. And the kid is traumatized, and he's just hanging on by the thinnest of threads. And he's just like, daddy's gonna get here, everything's gonna be okay. You know, and he's, and he's, everyone's trying to help him with different forms of story. His older brother is always protecting him, and every night he tells him a story when they go to sleep. He tells him a really nice one when, when the haircut happens, you know. The teacher's trying to help him. A new friend he makes at the class is trying to help him. Uh, but things, the shit has hit the fan, and he's at the breaking point. And one night he's woken up, and there's a strange man in bed, and, you know, standing next to his bed, and his brother's there, and, and he's like, what's going on? And the guy seems upset and he's crying. And his brother's like, this is our father. And he's nothing like his fantasies. He's drunk and he's angry and he's a dick. And he gets into a fist fight with the stepfather. The mom gets in, he slaps his mom in front of him and he punches his brother. And it's the night of darkness, you know? So, uh, and it's right, of course, before he goes off to summer camp. And it's, all of his dreams are just bereft. So he gets to Mecca, but it's not Mecca anymore. And he's... Um, Where are we in the structure? This is, this is going into Act 3. Okay, good. Right, so Act 1 is meeting the kid. Act 2, meeting the teacher. New ways to try to deal with life, but problems happening. And he keeps running away, keeps running away, keeps running away. Uh, Dark Night of the Soul goes to summer camp. And... and, and as things get worse, you see that there are bad habits that he's picking up from his family, from his stepfather in particular, and his father, ironically. Um, and he gets into a really bad fight at summer camp, and it's violent, and it's ugly, and it's just awful. And he knows it's, he knows it's wrong, but he's just, he's lost. And he, he swims out to this island in the middle of the lake where the summer camp is that his brother has told him where the Thunderbird lives and that will grant all his wishes. And he's like, please, please help me. And nothing happens and he, he just breaks down. Um, and then he creates a new fantasy based on all the, the lessons he's taught from the teacher and his brother. And it's this, I call him the ghost boy. And he's kind of like, it's kind of like him, but like a better version of him. And he, uh, he learns how to put down his anger and see his dad is just a man, his stepfather is just sick, the bully is a boy who lost his brother to suicide, and he starts to, you, you, get, you leave with the impression that maybe he's gonna be able to use his creativity and fantasies to, to not escape reality, but to live in reality. 
And that's, that's, that's the basic story. Okay, good. All right, good. I have questions. Do you want to go first? Or I can go first. You go first. So my brain immediately, as a storyteller, is worried that it... Have you written it yet? Or Many times. Many, written, times. Many it, times. It is in several passes. There's some things that I need... I, I know it needs some work. Okay, so what do you think... What are you struggling with? Well, I or think Or do you want that, me to guess? Okay. No, please. <laughs> I think that'd be cooler. Uh, I'm immediately worried it's episodic. Yes. <laughs> um, and kind of what I did this week, and my brain is automatically trying to do with this story, which is sometimes we write these drafts to know some, the world and know the boy and know all of this stuff, but I don't know that that's all, that the story isn't a piece of it. Right? Like, when, as soon as you said the ghost boy arrives, I was like, oh, I want to see that movie. Like, Me too. can that be the end of Act One? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Sometimes the episodic nature is your brain just trying to work it out and what is what. And there's almost, and by the way, we all have this in early drafts. You have this situation where it's too much and not enough. Right? So many drafts, you're like, there's just too much in here and there's not enough clarity, there's not enough structure, there's not enough. What is the movie, right? Um, so I'm literally, I, my brain starts going to, well, and sometimes because I'm a producer, so forgive me, it's not always just creative. It's like, what would stand out in the marketplace? What, will, what could we put on Netflix or wherever? And people are going to be like, I want to watch that. What the fuck is that about, right? Uh, and the ghost boy, suddenly I was like, wow, this kid has manifested an outside part of him. I also don't believe that a child of this age could come to that clarity in a single act. Yeah. Meaning, to get a kid to realize in any way, especially at that age, I don't even know if they're mentally able to do it, but let's say they could, because he's advanced, that it's not about me, it's them, right? That could take all of act two. Yeah. That that could literally be what he's trying to learn in act two because that's so big for a brain, human brain to do. I'm still working on it. <laughs> and uh, I, love the, I love the idea of him creating different worlds. I love that he's trying to escape into these worlds. I think that's super cool. There's a lot of visual stuff to be had with the story. Um, so that's really original and fun. I really like that stuff. It's just how to use it. Because the other danger you have beyond episodic, especially with children protagonists, is it's all just happening to him. So he's doing a lot of reacting. So almost everything you told me is him reacting to things. Reacting to the teacher, reacting to the brother, reacting to the bully, reacting to the, the stepfather, right? But that's not a main character. A main character is in that situation and then decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this. Now, if it's a claiming story, everybody around him says that's a terrible idea and makes him doubt, but in fact it's a great idea and it is the way to psychological uh, you know, health. If it's a transformative story, it's a really bad idea uh, in terms of how to handle this, and he has to come to confront, dude, you started this. So I'm just, as an example, you wrote to your father and had him come here, and now he's here. And he's a fucking nightmare, and he's creating even more problems. But you wrote the letter. It's not like he just shows up. 
Do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes you can look at what you have and what your brain spit out and say, how could that happen because my character did it? Just start there. Just look at all the actions in the script and how could you recalibrate it so everything that happens in the script is because of your main character's choice and behavior. Everything. That's an active main character. And it's, it can be harder with a kid because you, well, we all believe that as kids we were just reacting, but of course we weren't, you know? Uh, the way I exerted my independence as a child was I would not eat anything that I didn't want to eat. Drove my father bananas. But it was the one thing he couldn't control, was what I digested, right? But it, that's, a, that's a child claiming boundaries, claiming area, right? Uh, so again, you have to kind of think psychologically about this character, and, and then I'm gonna let you talk, uh, Lorian. I want you to believe in him more. I want you to not condescend to him that he is so a victim of his own life. This is a child, and trust me, and I, I don't know if you have children. Do you have children? Not that I know of. Okay, fair. Uh, when you have a kid, you start to realize, man, they come like who they are, and they're going to do what they do, and you just have to, like, half the time as a parent, you feel like you're reacting to this thing, that and beautiful child, that was born to you, that was brought into you. Um, they're very active children, if any all of the parents out there know, right? So I want you to... Believe in him more, that he has agency. He can create this story. He can, um, so he's not, you know, what's interesting is, <laughs> this happens all the time, you guys. You're doing the opposite of your own theme. Could you explain that? Yes. Your thematic is, do not get lost in fantasy. Come and be present in the now. Use your imagination to be here but that is what you're letting him do in the story. You as a creator are getting lost in the fantasy instead of forcing that kid into the now. You need to get in the now. You do, right? Yeah. You have to really, uh, and if this is based on you and you don't have to tell us, that's private. It is. Okay, <laughs> well, maybe. Um, we all, all of us, when we write about ourselves, put it reactive position. But the bravery, the artistry, is to get real about your own involvement in it. And even if you couldn't have done it, let that character do it for you. So for example, I did not have the courage to say to my parents, you want me to be happy, but I'm not. But Riley did in Inside Out, because she's the hero. So let him be more in the story. What I love about Stand By Me is that it's in this uh, 50s, right? So it's this time of innocence and all the characters have sort of varying relationships with innocence, right, and each other. And it, so it feels like a coming of age because they're teens on the, they're looking for a murderer, right? Or the dead body. So it's like this very confronting reality, life and death, right? And it's. So they're on this journey together. I wonder if your character might not be older. I've thought about that. You know, because because it's from my life, I'm compacting several years just into one school year because it just for it just seems right. You know, and I thought maybe I should make him be like 12 or 13, like at that precipice between about to become a young man but not quite there. So he can still like you know go off into dreamland and believe in things and I'm superheroes and all those type of things. Yes. 
I, I feel like it, because the a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old in the 70s is more likely to leave the house, is more likely to do things on his own more than a nine-year-old, maybe. So, I mean, the 70s, I mean, though, I... Some did back then, yes, perhaps. I mean, yeah, I, wouldn't I know don't know. About that. No. I don't remember. Um, you know, the other thing is, really, what is this about? Because coming of age is a big bucket, you guys. That is not a thematic. That is not a theme. So what is this really about? I think it's about trying to, that he has to learn to put down his anger and, and not, not forgive, like, it's okay, but see, but see the world as people that he has to interact with and not people he needs to run away from, you know? What if he has to actually embrace his anger? Huh? Yeah, because he's not angry in the story. So how can that be yeah. a lesson? Escaping. He's escaping from his feelings and mm -hmm. his real life. Mm -hmm. But what if coming and being in that life, I'd be pissed, mm -hmm. right? Look at all these grown-ups. They're, gro they're not adults. They're not grown-upping at me. Mm -hmm. He'd be, I'd be mad. How dare you, right? So I'm running away from you so I don't have to feel anything. I have this rich fantasy it's world. It's so interesting that your brain did that. Your brain let him fight. It let that part of you come out and say, fuck you all which is power, which is boundary setting. And then your brain was like, but he's gonna go away and swim off to an island and have a fantasy, and that's where he'll learn it. Do you see how that's psychologically protecting you? Yeah. Right? From, no dude, set down a fucking boundary. Yeah. Like, anger is really powerful. It's a powerful thing to say, no more. Especially if the people in his life are also hiding, right? Alcoholism. Yeah. It's a way to numb your feelings, oh, right? Yeah. Being sick from alcoholism is, you know, it's the world is too much, so it's that fantasy. And your brain literally said, well, he has to go to camp. Why? Because where's the lava? At home. Stay. Be angry. The lava's at home. The lava's dealing with these adults who are not doing their job, who are not, who are abandoning him every day, who are forcing him into these fantasies to feel safe. So the, the lava is there, but your brain is like, I'm going to camp, <laughs> right? Th this is the kind of stuff you gotta kind of catch or when you're getting notes, like really listen. So it's really, it is tricky. Again, I'm not saying in real life you didn't go to camp and no, have no. that experience. Yeah. You didn't, did you? Oh, I did. You did. Oh, so you yeah, went to okay. camp. And I didn't see a ghost boy, but. Right? But then once you come home from camp, right, you're back home. Yeah. yeah. So really, You've got to push your character. This is the kind of stuff of protecting your main character that I was talking about, right? You're unconsciously protecting him from really being active, making choices, and dealing ultimately with the, what is really true is with his stepfather or whoever it is. Really, what is it, right? I also wonder if is this is a question about him becoming a man and what it means to be a man. I think so. Because it feels like if you're escaping into superhero-ness and into fantasies of maleness, and I have a fantasy of my dad, he has a lot of questions about rage and manhood, and, and is a man about raging, is a man about love, yeah. is a man about being a superhero, and those are very, that's rich, rich territory, but I want him to decide at some point what kind of man he will try to be. He's too young yet to say he will be that, but he's going to try to be that, and I do think, I mean... This is either, from what you said about rage, again, and this isn't a thematic yet, rage is not a thematic yet, it's a bucket, but if it's about rage, then is he a boy who is stuffing down the rage and how he's doing it is fantasy, 
you know, these are all the different ways he's stuffing it down until finally he cannot stuff it down anymore, and this is gonna come up as a big boundary. Or the way you originally just said it is, this is a kid who needs to learn about his anger. Well, then he's an angry kid. If you want him to not be an angry kid by the end, then the rest of the movie, what is he? Fucking angry, right? And inappropriately so. And yet we kind of get it. And we're really afraid because he's turning into his stepfather, because he's picking up all of these rage male archetypical things that this is how you be a man, which you have in there, but it's like a blip. It's like a moment versus, no, no, that's it. So sometimes when you look at your drafts, they're in there, right? So sometimes people like throw more shit in and I'm like, no, 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 find, go, go spelunking, right? It's in there and you just have to pull that out and make that the movie. And it's really hard to write a personal story. Totally. It's really hard. <laughs> I thought, piece of cake, I know this. No, it's much harder. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. So just acknowledging that, like, and us even talking to you about this, it's like, oh, God, did you disassociate? Because I often do that when I have to. <laughs> yeah, you're being very brave. And yes. I just, you know, sometimes they ask, you know, sometimes the way you help is, like, give him a characteristic you didn't have. Yeah. So he can be his own little person yeah. and safer for your brain to start um, tunneling in there, but really write, even if it's just writing exercises towards the lava, as we call it on the podcast, yeah. right? Really write towards what makes you uncomfortable. Like if I say in the third act, I want him to go home and confront his stepfather. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Yeah, no, it makes me feel like that's right on the money. I mean, because that event happened at a different time in life, and I'm like, I think I need to put that in there where it was like, I think it was like 13, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I don't give a fuck, I'm just going to leave, and you can fuck all, and that changed things. Right, so maybe you need to write that scene, sometimes whether that ends up in the script or not, yeah. and then, again, if, if that's where you're ending it, you have to recalibrate that to the beginning, to the opposite, right? Is that helpful? Extremely. Good, good. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Are you guys doing good? <laughs> Peyton Russell. <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> Peyton said, oh no. Truly, <laughs> wow. Um, hi. Hi, Peyton. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. Um, as y'all were talking, I just was like, I, I, I followed you here from the last one. Um, oh. I thought you were wonderful. Okay, Stalker. that's it. Um, <laughs> All right, you ready? Yes. All right, so first give us tone so we know kind of where we are. Okay, so it's a 30-minute comedy. Um, and it is like, it's like Lost meets The Good Place. So it's like the tone of The Good Place. But we're with a father and son whose relationship is purely dysfunctional, and they wake up stuck together in a cave um, in the middle of the Grand Canyon. No idea how they got there, and they cannot pull apart. Um, what do you like mean they can't physically pull apart? Stuck. They physically are stuck together, and the farthest apart they can get is like, is honestly, is like hands holding. Yeah, and they hate each other, absolutely. Um, and basically, so they're like, of course they freak out. They have no idea what's going on. And throughout this time, they find that the, the, the cave they're in, um, there's a tunnel up above. And when good things happen, things fall from the tunnel. So a phone falls down from the tunnel. And then these, uh, and they, sorry. 
You got breathe. it. Breath. Okay. Breathe. And then um, in another room, cave, uh, moments away, are two other men, another father and son. This father and son, however, Peter and Justin are their names, the other one. Um, they love each other a little bit too much. Um, so he's just, Peter's really proud of his son, but like really also thinks he looks good in a fireman costume. So you're, they're a little weird. Like you don't know exactly what's going on there. And they waddle into their room, all like hooked up too, and have to figure this mess out together. But then, <laughs> this is the end of act one. Um, Peter and Justin end up like just walking apart from each other. And Dan's like, what the fuck? What, how did y'all do that? And they're like, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, we, we can't pull apart. And they realize they're attached. A voice pops out from the loudspeakers that are hidden. And the voice um, is like, congrats, men. Y'all figured it out. Y'all are not attached. And then she's like, it only took you 80 minutes to do so. Um, and then a, a piece of drywall falls down. They all get pulled apart. And then the two fathers and the two sons are in separate rooms of the cave. So... I can keep going. Basically, the series is about these men. There are more. There are 40 in total um, that are all stuck in, the ca stuck in these caves, these escape caves in the Grand Canyon, um, and they have to work together and solve through their shit in order to get it out. So in terms of it's a TV series, mm -hmm. is it limited or forever? Like, like I see it as a limited series limited because series. realistically, like, they're in a cave. Right, exactly. That's so what they're going to get but out. But I didn't want to assume. Uh, so it's a series, and you said there's 40 pairs? I, okay, I said, I, I'm doing that for specifics, but um, there's probably less than 40. Okay. Like, they fill a room. They so is it kind of like a faux reality show? Is it, are they in these rooms by, like, a game that's being played? They don't know, maybe they don't know it, but is it a game? That, who's doing it? How are they stuck um, in these rooms? It are, it, I'm debating whether or not this is going to be known which maybe you can help me with. Um, but the, the people who are in charge, the, the woman in charge is actually four people. It's Peter's mom, um, acclaimed um, like social worker, G I think her name is like Gigi or something. And she like, or what's it called? Like social activist. Like she travels the world to help people. Um, and she came together with like this like magical witch woman and Dan's wife, Danielle, who recently cheated on him. Um, and also this guy, Kevin, who's like one of the other father's co-husbands. Um, and they all came together and they were like, oh my God, they need to work out their shit because this is ruining our lives. And so, yeah, they made this magical world with the, the one witch woman and they don't know that though. Like, I just know that because I thought it was no, fun. No, we have to know. It doesn't okay. mean the audience knows either. So is it a ensemble? Um, yeah, we know, we know about all of them. And I think I'm going to switch points of view throughout the limited series. Like, not completely, but just like for an episode. So will it be like each episode has a different point of view of what's going on? So it's a sort of a mystery? Ooh. Like, the engine of the show is are we trying to figure out what's going on along with the characters or are we privy to the I think we're priv we're not privy I don't know if we're privy yet to the voices but like why the voices are doing it but we're privy to like how the world works like we know for instance if you cuss you get shocked so it's like a little like <laughs> like like a, like a taser and you fall to the ground um you know that if you need something that will help you solve your dilemma like the game you can ask for it, and it'll come. Um, 
Like they know some of the rules of the so world. there's game rules. Mm -hmm. And how long are they going to be in the cave? Until they figure it so out. It, but I mean, in terms of the series, is it like mm -hmm. a limited series and you're only going to have 10 episodes and then they get out of the cave and the show's done? Or is it three years of 10 episodes? Like how long can we stay in the cave? Are we staying in a cave the whole time? Or are we going to eventually... You know, because like if you think about mm -hmm. Squid Game, I mean, they spent the whole second episode out, uh, out of the game, but, uh, uh, you know, we're in different environments within the game, and eventually we go up, of course, to the bad guys and all that stuff, but in terms of the game, um, what are the environments we're going to be in? Um, there's like a mixture between... It, it'll all be in the cave, I see the first season. I thought about a potential second season where they get out of the cave and then they're in the Grand Canyon and the whole world is shut down. And so then they're like, well shit, there's nothing else left out here. And then like, they would again, they would like start to create a society in the Grand Canyon. That would be like all okay, men. Okay, so I love Now your... I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> I love your imagination, so fun, so fun. I love your brain. Um, and it, it's delightful. Um, my you. question is, and again, this is maybe the producer showing up right now in my brain, but I don't know if I want to tune in every week to be in a cave. Got it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you have to, when you're in TV, you have to think about the world that you're pitching. Because they literally will say, do I want, as a viewer, to show up and be in that world every week? That doesn't mean it has to be a good world. Mm -hmm. Squid Game is not a good world, but you all showed up, didn't you? So it doesn't have to be friendly or nice, but there's something dramatically interesting about it that I, I need to know what's going to happen. It, it's, it's rocking me. You know, I don't know. You know, I'm with the, the game players, right? And then, of course, it's all about the relationships changing and shifting, mm -hmm. right? Which I feel like you're starting to get because they're all fathers and sons and they're all gonna have to work together, like you said. Like, in a weird way, that isn't as where my brain is going as much as where are we. Yeah, yeah. And like in terms of genre, is it like a, a prison escape story? I with see a it kind of like a prison. That and has a moral. And sorry, I cut you off. Okay. Um, so that's kind of like, as you mentioned, like I don't wanna spend um, every week in or like tune into a cave. That's kind of what I've been wondering slash like wrestling through is like Orange is the New Black is in a prison and people turn tune in to watch a prison show. And so like this is more or less a prison. Right. So then what I would do is I would and I, I, didn't, I don't know Orange is the New Black well enough to tell you, but and there's other prison TV shows, right? There isn't there one where the guy goes uh, in on purpose and blah, blah, blah. Oh, like I can't remember it. It's called Prison Break. Um, I would watch a couple of those shows to see what are the worlds they're going into, how often are they popping out of the prison to give mm. people a relief from it, because there's probably a method to their madness. It's a prison show. It's almost like a genre. Yeah. Right? So you, you really need to think about how they're creating worlds within a prison and that you're doing a prison show is mm. great, um, because the word cave might actually be throwing you. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. a cave has nothing in it. A prison has stuff in it, right? A prison has you have to go eat, you have to sleep somewhere, you have to go into the shower, which is you have to have all a those job. things exist in this cave, right? So that's what you have to pitch to, right? Like you have yeah. to say this is the world we're in, right? And we're in the pilot. We're only going to know this much about it, but we're going to go to it has all these different places, right? 
um, so that I, as a listener, understand where the show's going to happen and where all these relationships are going to turn. Um, and for you, emotionally, thematically, what is the show about? Um, the show's about two people who really want to get along, but they can't. Um, and they can't because of like their own their own problems. It's like a therapy. It's like it's like father and son therapy. Like two pe people who just can't seem to work it out, even though they really want the same thing. Why can't they work it out? Um, with our main characters, um, the dad just really wants a perfect family, um, and his son is just never going to be that for him. Um, and then, whew, yeah, I guess that is, that's a little personal. <laughs> oh, that's um, lava came up there. I was like, wow, okay. Um, <laughs> and what's the kid's perspective on that? Um, the kid, I, I think he's, it's, I guess it's too close to home. Um, no, no, no. No, no, no. Um, he just is doing his best. And also he thinks his dad is the worst, but also like probably wants to be him, you know? Um, but he thinks his dad is the worst because he's like a deadbeat. He, he's mean. To, he's mean to everyone, um, mean to his mom. His mom divorced him like, recently. Um, and this is not personal. This is just fun stuff. Um, fun. Huh. Divorce is so fun. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so here's the trick. So I do think that that relationship is going to be there, digging up all that great juice for you. And then you have other fathers and sons. Is there any fathers and daughters and mothers and daughters? Is, is it just all fathers and sons? It's all fathers and sons. So there's also going to be some masculine, uh, you're, you're, look, you're asking questions about masculinity then, if you're choosing all fathers and sons, mm -hmm. right? So that's fine. And you absolutely can, because men certainly write a lot of women characters, so you can write yeah. men characters. Um, and you can, men are exploring femininity now. You can explore masculinity. Mm -hmm. um, you might have a really interesting perspective on it. Um, but if they're all fathers and sons, that will be in the show. Like you're not gonna, I mean, I have two teenage sons and watching them with their father, I, I feel like it's like sometimes looking at aliens if I hear my father right now. <laughs> like literally it's like, what are you doing? Why are you beating each other up all the time? Uh, like where they're yeah, they wrestle, they, they, they wrestle, they, they, they wrestle each the other time. a lot. Like it's amazing. So I'm thinking about a couple of things in TV shows, right? Like the, the over, you know, the big idea Right, and you'd mentioned the women who was in charge. Is this a social experiment? You know, because the good place was sort of like psychological torture, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, is it like that? Is it they're trying to teach them something? What What are they trying to get out of them, and what are the tests? Because it can't just be, or I would suggest exploring that it's not just we need a phone and a phone falls. Like, is there tasks they have to complete to put something together? Mm -hmm. And then uh, there's the episode of Star Trek where they're in the zoo, the people are in the zoo. Do you guys remember that one? I don't know the name. Somebody will tell me. Oh, one of you knows, right? Um, so the, the people end up being in the zoo, right? But it's, it's just an interesting conversation, especially in terms of your perspective on masculinity. But it, the, the big idea for the show, which I think you were poking at with always being in a cave, and you can make that compelling. It's just what's the engine? What's What's driving us from episode to episode? Mm -hmm. More than just the plot, right? What's, what's the th question we have to go to the next episode? Now, story engine is really hard. Every time I write anything, my manager's like, what's the engine? So I, this is not a, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but what is it, right? The good place is 
They were trying to what? What's it is in the good place? Oh, um, in the good place. They're trying to be good, question mark, but they can't be because that's impossible. They're trying not to get caught, right? So they can stay in the good place. Yeah. Is that right? Does anyone have a differing? Yeah. What's that? Initially. Yeah. In the, Initially, yeah, guess, right. Yeah. When we start and we're rooting for them, we want them to be there, even as we get glimpses of their terrible behavior mm-hmm. in their life. So... So you're rooting for them, right? So, and so, what, how are we rooting for these pairs? Mm, uh, yeah, right. To get through this game, right? Even though in Squid Game, they're not really nice people, so to speak. They that show does a lot of. They have a whole episode, literally, of heavy lifting, just so you will want them not to die, because otherwise you'd be like, well, they're not very like, right? So you meet the kid and you meet the thing and you meet my, you know, all of their, their, their uh, all of, yeah, that's yeah. so you root for them mm-hmm. to, and why you tune in. Um, and we have that in Lost too, right? Yeah. We meet, we see the, the flashbacks of their earlier lives and the struggles they have so that the choices they're making here when they're crashed, we understand their motivations. And Lost is, an, is basically a prison movie, right? Like our prison show, right? Except it's on an island, so it's someplace you would actually want to go every week too, right? Like, like I would push you, does it have to be a cave? And if it has to be a cave, what kind of cave is it, right? Um, I really want there visual. to be tunnels. There, there are. And confusing <laughs> rooms you go in. And yeah. then like, there's, there's also an abacus on the wall. I mean, I love it. <laughs> I'm claustrophobic, so I'm like, I don't want to be in a cave every week, but that's me. Um, mm. So I just think, you, yeah, I think that it's really fun. And just please dig into the emotion, too, of investing me in them and how many characters. And st- I would, I personally, I would start there because in a weird way, the engine will come out of that, Can come I out of the character. One question. Um, so let's say I wanted them out of the cave. Isn't it like a huge faux pas after the pilot to, like, start them in a cave? And then at the end, they, because there's elevators, so, like, they, at the end, they take the elevator out. And then they're like in whatever other world. Well, they take the elevator out and then they're in some new startling, crazy place. And then we're like, well, what's that place? Episode two. You have to do that at the end of the first episode so that Mm -hmm. I understand this show changes pods. Like you can't just change pods in episode two because I'm going to be like, wait a minute, I tuned into a cave show. You have to do it in the, 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 what's it called? The tag, right? So they... They find an oh, elevator, they go yeah. up in it, and then mm-hmm. they're like in a high school cafeteria. Mm-hmm. And so, so the, what is this world? You know? Yeah, the rules of, of the world are going to be super important, and you'll lay those down as you get them. But I really want the rules and the place and where they are to all come from the character relationships. Because we tune in to see the, rule, the world, of course, and we tune in to games that kill people. I don't <laughs> get that. But uh, people like that. Like, uh, but really what we're tuning in for is the relationships and watching the relationships evolving, right? So that's really where you got to sink your teeth into it. Um, and just make sure, I'm not saying you're doing this, that, but make sure that it's not just to teach the father a lesson only. Mm-hmm. That that's what you want to par- do, isn't it? That can be part of it. <laughs> I can no. tell from your smile, you're like, that's exactly <laughs> no. what I want to do. Well, but I, <laughs> I want to put him in a cave and I shock p- him. <laughs> He does. He gets shocked a lot. Sometimes he gets water poured on him in the middle of the night. Maybe there's bugs. That's all good juice. That is all good juice. I am not saying don't use all that, but that can't be. That is a short film. Yeah. Do you see the difference? 
So we're asking for engine, we're asking for world rules. These are how things that pulls it out of a short film and into a long series, mm, which yes. is very normal where you are in development. This is all just normal places to be. All right? Okay, You're amazing, welcome. thank you okay, guys. Bye. Okay, Jeff, don't record this, don't take this. So how much time do we have left? So we only have five minutes left, so I'm sorry we can't do any more. But thank you to our people who went. Yes, Very first of all, let's give our brave people a round of applause. Sorry. And uh, um, if you haven't checked out our podcast, uh, it, please do. We'd love to have you come. And um, we also have a Facebook page with an amazing community where writers are supporting writers. We jump on and answer your questions. Um, we're going to start a Patreon. We launched our Patreon in the softest possible way and that we didn't tell anyone. Because... <laughs> <laughs> People are asking us to do more. They're asking us to, you know, put up documents and do more questions and answers and do this. Like, we could do this on a Patreon where you could all jump on. So it's really not to make money. It's just to give a chance to pay the people who helped us do it, you know, to pay Jeff and to pay Jess and stuff. It's really who's going to get paid. Just so we can do it because we need people to help us uh, get more access to you guys to give you more support. Yeah. And uh, what else are we supposed to say? Now you're just supposed to tie it off with oh. your... With your my thing? Yeah. All right, everybody. Keep writing, and you're not alone. Before we make our way out of here, I just want to offer a couple of thank yous. Uh, first of all, thanks to Megan Lorian, as always, for just sharing with us their seemingly unending vault of wisdom. Just incredible stuff from both of you, so thanks. Also, thank you to Colin Heyer, who is the creative director of AFF, who was a huge part in getting us scheduled and all set for the festival so thank you colin and finally thanks to travis kennedy uh travis audio engineered the show and got me this file very very rapidly um, so thanks travis if you want to find more about who travis is and what he does you can go to traviskennedysound.com of course i'd also be remiss not to thank you the listeners um, you all are the engine and the heartbeat of our show um, as you saw from today's episode we had some amazing audience participation and you all are just so wonderful and one of the best ways that you can help out the show is by writing us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And I, we initially had the plan to try to reach 1,000 five-star reviews before the end of the year, but that feels a little ambitious. So let's say 500. Let's see if we can get 500 reviews by Christmas. Um, that would be amazing, and I really think we can do it. Um, and the reason these reviews are so helpful is not only do they provide valuable feedback for our show, but they also help others find the show because Apple Podcasts algorithm bumps up our show when you write these reviews. So let's start with the review from Bina119 who says, women writing in real life. I don't usually write reviews, but since I've discovered the podcast, I've been impressed and inspired by and grateful for what these women are doing and would love to help more people find out about the podcast. Well, Bina, writing a review is exactly the way to do that. So we really appreciate it. Um, Pricemaster K says, Listening to this podcast is like taking an intimate masterclass with two great artists who beautifully articulate how screenwriting works. It means a lot to me to hear Megan Lorian share their perspectives and makes me more aware of how our gendered experience factors into what we write, especially our perception of who our characters are, what's possible for them, and what kind of trajectory we can allow them to have in a narrative. The podcast has been a game changer for me and I can't wait to return to it every week. What a beautifully written review, and I'm so glad. Yeah, I think Megan and Lorian have this fundamental 
way that shifts the way all of us view our stories and our characters. So thank you, Peace Master. I totally agree. Finally, Doc Toya says, motivating podcast. This podcast is beyond motivating and inspiring. It gives me the push and resources I need to be a better writer. Meg and Lorian are such incredible souls, and I'm just grateful for them and this podcast. How wonderful. Thank you so much, Doc Toya. And thank you to all of you who have written reviews. Keep them coming, guys. Those 500 uh, Apple Podcast reviews, I know we can do it. I mentioned it briefly, but I'll say it one more time. Meg and Lorian will be doing a full debrief of their AFF experience exclusively on our Patreon. So if you haven't signed up yet, that show will be listenable at the $5 tier. And um, there's even more accessible to you at the $20 tier, including virtual Q&As, workshops, and other meet and greet experiences over Zoom, kind of like this one that you just heard today. So we really encourage you to check it out. And again, that link to our Patreon is in the description below. And in the meantime, happy writing.